0: Good morning. Uh, Jake is passing out uh, some blank pieces of paper. Maybe if someone could give him a hand, there is a couple of pins back there as well. Just looking at the blank piece of paper, I'd like to ask you some uh, questions this morning. What do you consider valuable? What, in your heart and mind do you consider to be valuable? And with that, I mean of high cost or worth. Valuable. To some, and just, just take the blank side and just write down, if you need a pen, just raise your hand, we'll pass one out. Um, what do you consider to be of high value or cost? That you own, that you have. For some, it could be a house. If you live in the Bay Area, a house costs a lot. The prices are increasing for a long time. Now there's concern that the prices are dropping. There's a lot of money, as you say at work, there's a lot of money on the table there, isn't there? High value. We work on home projects to either keep up or increase the value of our homes. Value, high value. Might be a vehicle. I bought a truck recently. And uh, I can't say I'm as nearly as happy with the vehicle buys I've done in the past. I am a buyer by profession. As my father likes to say, you're supposed to get good deals. That's your job. And um, I bought a truck recently, and I got a pretty decent deal. I drove it off the lot, checked the Kelley Blue Book, and it was actually worth slightly more than I had uh, paid for it. So that was a success. Why? It's a lot of money. It's high value, isn't it? High dollar amount. We have vehicles. We spend time washing them, cleaning them, waxing them, taking care of things. Why? Because they have value. Can you think of anything that you have that is high value to you? Time. Time. Good job. Good, good, Tom. Time. I appreciate Tom saying that this morning because I had the whole book of 1 Peter to do. <laughs> so I need to get moving. Thank you, Tom. How about precious? When I first prepared this message, I had those two stuck together. But you know what? They're just not the same to me. Because value... They're similar, but value, to me, I think of dollar amount. Precious could be dollar amount. Precious, metals, gold, silver, right? But I also think of dear. I also think of beloved, cherished, highly esteemed. Some of those things you can't put a dollar amount on, can you? Can you think of anything that you have that to you is precious, I didn't bring it this morning, but uh, Abby's got this trophy she won a couple years ago. And boy, that thing's precious to her. She won it doing that Iwana Grand Prix uh, race. And if you come over, sorry, you're going to hear the whole story and she's going to come show it to you. Why? Because it's precious to her. Valuable. She esteems it. It's Beloved in her heart and mind. Other things. Our health is precious, isn't it? We often take it for granted until you get sick. I look at my little ones, and again, they're going through another cycle of something. I'm not sure what it is. The girls all got it. Thankfully, Joshua doesn't have it right now. And you look at them, and I say, it's miserable being sick, isn't it? It's no fun. We take our health for granted. Okay. You think of anything precious and or valuable? You're right. Set that aside in your mind. Let me just ask you some questions. I think you're going to get this pretty quick. I want to reinforce who we're going to talk about today or who's going to be speaking to us. Who is it from the Bible who said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Then who also shortly later rebuked Jesus by saying, oh Lord, far be it, this shall never happen to you. Talking about his death, the Lord's death. Who, when he did not want, who, when he did, didn't know what to say, answered and said rabbi it's good for us to be here let's make three booze, one for moses and elijah and for you when he's on the mount of transfiguration it's getting to be a little obvious isn't it think about who this is and what he's been through as i read these to you who when he saw jesus walking on the water asked the lord to bid him come and got out of the boat and walked on water At least for a short while. Who, when told all would forsake him, promised he would never forsake the Lord. And who, when he was told that he would deny Jesus, said he would never deny the Lord. He would die for him if he had to. And then who, when he did deny the Lord, went out and wept bitterly. Who was restored very specifically by the Lord, by a lake after fishing, who gave such an incredible gospel message on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved, who had to be rebuked by Paul when he was not straightforward about the gospel. That when the Jews, the, the believing Jews showed up, he no longer associated with the Gentile believers. And confused them with not being straightforward about the gospel and had to be rebuked by, by Paul. Who are we speaking about this morning? Peter. That's right. 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter this morning. Go ahead and flip over your papers if you haven't already done it. I'm going to tell you right now, I appreciate this servant of God. You want to talk about a life full of ups and downs. But you know what I appreciate about Peter. His chin was always out there, wasn't it? Now, he might get a good left jab or uppercut or hook. But you know what? He kept on, didn't he? He kept pressing on. And I appreciate that about Peter. Right or wrong, he would throw it out there. He got out of the boat. Even when he was rebuked as being controlled by Satan, he took his correction. He had seen Jesus, walked with him, saw Jesus suffer and die and rise again. He had ups and downs. He's a real follower of the Lord, isn't he? Can't you relate to Peter? The ups and downs of following the Lord. Now it's 30 years later. He's a seasoned veteran. He's been following the Lord for quite a few years now. He's a leader in the church. He's an elder. And he's writing to believers who, believers who have been scattered all over the area. All over modern day Turkey is what we see here. And there's a couple of things that are repeated. You see them listed on your little notepad there. Precious things. Precious. You get precious things. I mentioned six times about four different things in the book of 1 Peter. And Suffering. Suffering is mentioned 17 times. Oh, did I just give that away? I was going to make you guys count that one. See if you can find more. Actually, there might be one or two more I might have missed. Okay. Let's uh, dig in here to First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. You can always get some little gem right there in the middle of, a, of an introduction. You've heard of the expression familiarity breeds contempt? You know, sometimes you get to know someone a little too well. You had real high thoughts of them, and they kind of you start to see they've got feet of clay just like you. You don't see this happen with Peter. He sees Jesus. Who does he see? He sees God. You see the Trinity in this introduction. Do you see that there? God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The only reason why you put all three of those together is when they're equal. Because they are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels... Desire to look into. You see that there, the first precious thing? What verse is it in? Verse 7, very good. It's called the genuineness of your faith. True saving faith is valuable. Think about it. What else is there in the whole world that can take you from the kingdom of darkness... The power of Satan, the, uh, the unbreakable control of sin, besetting sin in your life and sets you free from all those things and bring you into the kingdom of God's dear son and with power over sin in your life. It's true saving faith. How valuable is that? Could you put a dollar sign on that? Could you put an amount on it? It's just precious. It's just precious. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a brother at um, Fairhaven. His name was Milt Johnson. Anybody know Milt? A couple, two, three, maybe half a half dozen. Every time I'd go up and talk to Milt, one of the first words out of his mouth, we, he'd ask about something about the Lord, and I'd tell him whatever I knew. If it was something encouraging the Lord was doing, you would go, oh, that's precious. That's precious. You know? And you could just tell this was a man who worshipped the Lord. And he, he appreciated the things of the Lord in an everyday, real, live, day-by-day way. Just, just as another aside, one day I was there at the breaking of bread and I, I, got, I, wanted, I felt led to stand up and speak and Milt stood up at the sec, same time and he was already worshiping the Lord. So I just sat back down. Literally, the Lord shook the earth by the time he was done praying. There was. There was an earthquake in San Leandro in that area at that time. This is the smartest thing I ever did in my life. sit down when Bill Johnson got up to worship the Lord. He valued the Lord. The Lord to him was precious. The things of the Lord to him were precious. Saving faith is precious. An incredible value. What gives saving faith its value, its preciousness? Who's the faith in? We're going to talk more about him later. It's the Lord Jesus. Who he is and what he's done. It's not a a hope based on a dream or a myth or an unjustifiable explanation. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. His finished work on the cross. That's what gives faith. It's preciousness. How can you tell, though, that faith is genuine? How can you tell when faith is real? You look at somebody and all I can see is the outside. And it's true. it It says in Samuel that, Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. But you know what God also does? He likes to test faith. As he talks about here, gold can perish. You put enough fire to gold, you can evaporate gold. You see? But if you have true faith, and that faith goes into the trial, and what we're going to talk about here in 1 Peter, is suffering, It just burns away that which is not faith. And what's left is just pure faith. Genuine faith. Living faith. A real faith in God. And that's what he says in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. He's introducing the fact that he knows about their suffering. He's saying, but look, Look what you have. You have the saving faith. The prophets were looking into this. They were writing about your faith. They really didn't understand it. They just wrote it down. And now you're experiencing it. You know what Christ, who Christ is. You know what he's done. And he is living inside you by the person of his Holy Spirit. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we don't know. We don't appreciate. I'll tell you right now. I don't appreciate the way I ought to. This incredible fact, the saving faith, the Lord Jesus Christ in us, all that comes with salvation. It says things angels desire to look into. They're they're, they're on the edge of their seats. In light of that, what next? Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay in fear knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What does Peter tell us here? If you have this incredibly valuable saving faith, he's saying do something about it. It says gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what does that mean? What's girding up your loins and how does that have to do with your mind? Well, actually it doesn't. Okay, it's a little bit of a twist of, of an illustration. When, the, when, when an Israelite, he'd wear a long robe, it would go down to about you know, about his ankles or so, would go past his knees or thereabouts. Well, you couldn't run, you couldn't do battle like that. So what they would do is they would pull it up and they would tie it off. So that way, you could move. You could do some damage, as it were, as a warrior, as a a fighter. You see, you would gird up your loins. See what the Lord is telling us here? You have an incredibly valuable faith. Now do something with it. Get mentally prepared. Because we live in a society that... Just floods us with mental laziness, doesn't it? I remember one brother preaching on years ago, amusement. You know what amusement means? You know what muse means? What does muse mean? To think. What does ah mean? No, not without. Amusement, not thinking. You see? Do I take my kids to Disneyland? Yes, yes, I have. Sure I have. Do we go to amusement parks on occasion? But see, the enemy out there wants us to be flooded with that. To be drunk with distractions, with amusements. What's Peter saying here? Be sober. Tighten up the mind. Why? Because the Lord's coming back. And you have an incredible responsibility with this incredibly valuable faith. And you want to be prepared for when the Lord comes back. And he says, don't go back to the way you used to be. Do you know why it says that to believers? And I appreciate a brother sharing this a long time ago. What sin is a believer capable of? You're capable of every sin. I hate the thought of that, don't you? I am looking forward to the day when that will no longer be true. But that's heaven, not here. We have to be sober and tighten up our minds and our hearts. And not go back to the way we used to be. As it says there in verse 14. But be different. Do some damage. Why? Look who's called you. A holy God. He's called you into a relationship. He wants you to... What does holy mean? It's real simple. Be different. You used to be a sinner. and That's all you knew how to do. And me too. Now that you're saved, be different. Be like the Lord. Be separate from that. Holy. What's the motivation there? What's the motivation as we learn, I believe it's in First Corinthians, we were bought with a price. Did you know that? Did you know you, you didn't own yourself? You were paid for. Paid. Stamped right on you. And it's in red ink. And it's this precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. You, know, you can see blood a lot. There's a lot of blood in, in, in gory movies and, and in hospitals and different things. But with Jesus' blood, his blood is precious. Why? Because it's his. He who knew no sin, did no sin, there was no sin found in him. He sheds his blood? That just doesn't seem right. Ah, but without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, is it? It's because of your sin and my sin, he sheds his blood. Precious. Precious. Because goes on to say in verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man As the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And verse one of chapter two, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious let me ask you this morning have you tasted and seen that the lord is gracious you come to salvation and you you, you're, you're you're penniless you got not a thing in your pocket to offer god and you say lord if i got what i deserved i'd be in hell right now that's the truth of the gospel that's the bad news you have nothing to offer god and he says that's right that's what you deserve I'm going to give you full salvation. And not just up to being a clean slate. You know what? I'm going to make you one of my children. You have full rights and privileges as a child of God. Wow. Wow. The Lord has been gracious. Where did you get that from? That all comes from his word. His word tells us that. Who we are, what we deserve, and now what he what has given us. What is he saying here? If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious in his word, keep on drinking. i sure the church was new back then. And someone might say, well, you know, I've known the Lord for 20 years. How does that apply to me this morning? You know, you know what one of the things the Lord misses? He says it in Revelation. He says to, to one church, I have this against you. You have left your first love You see, he loves that first love. And since he's bringing it up, what is he saying? You can have that. I love you just as much now as I did then. Do you love me like that? You see, so I don't think this is only to newborn babes, even for those of us who have been around a while. The Lord is saying, "Do you love me like you did then. If you do, drink up his word, bring it into you. And when you're doing that, you're going to lay aside these other things. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Put away all that junk. How much evil speaking is done in the church? Not just about our government, not just about society in general. But how much evil speaking do we do against our own brothers and sisters in the Lord? How do you know if it's evil speaking? Well, is the intent of what you say out of a sincere desire to build somebody up? Or is it just a list of faults and being critical? That Lord Jesus... When he speaks about his disciples, he said, I have given them your word, and they have kept it. <laughs> I'm thinking not these 12 guys, you know. If I call the Lord a liar, I'm saying the Lord is incredibly gracious when he speaks about his people. He's incredibly gracious in how he looks at his people. Who is the one who accuses the people of God of their faults day and night? That's Satan. Ask yourself this. When you talk about your brothers and sisters in the Lord, who do you most reflect? A gracious, a love, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? Lord's perspective or a critical spirit that's really from the pit. Okay, going on to verse 4, chapter 2. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see that when we're focusing on the Lord Jesus and on his word. And on the preciousness of his people. God's people are precious. Why? The Lord Jesus is that cheap cornerstone. That makes the whole building precious. And each one of those believers, you and me, are building blocks in that house. The Lord gave us this, this building and this plot of land for this far meeting here. Now, if we find out that the uh, foundation was made out of, well, we don't want it made out of solid gold, because that wouldn't make a very good foundation with it. Platinum. So, something solid, but valuable. Well, all of a sudden, that just increases the whole value of the whole building. If it wasn't known, you see? The Lord Jesus is precious. And each of his people, because of their association with him, makes them precious, of great value. But just remember, this passage is telling us, even though the Lord Jesus is that chief cornerstone, don't be surprised when people don't believe in him. It says, the the stone which the builders rejected, the Lord came to his own and his own received him not. The Jewish leaders rejected him. So when you go out of this building, you leave your houses and your quiet times come Monday morning, and you go out in that world, yeah, they, they, they rejected Jesus. There's a good chance they're going to reject you. And that's another bit of suffering, isn't it? We don't suffer in the States like a lot of our brethren do around the world, but we have a little bit here and there. And that's part of that. It says those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer Persecution. If you want to mold into like what the world is, no worries, you won't suffer. And it's a good question to ask. You know I don't suffer too much. I've asked myself that at work. you know I haven't had very many conversations. I don't go around shopping for suffering. Let me just make that clear. I don't know anyone who does that, but you might want to think, and we're going to talk about that more later. you want know their suffering to be done? Why am I not one of those? what what? Compromise have I made in my life? What choices have I made to insulate myself from suffering for Christ? The Lord Jesus. The whole world can reject the Lord Jesus. You know what the Father says? I don't care. You're all wrong. He's valuable. You see? It says, He who trusts in Him will not be put to shame. You'll be put to shame by the world because they think you're crazy. This is a Jewish guy who died 2,000 years ago. What do you mean he's precious and valuable? God the Father says, you won't be put to shame in front of me. Jesus is precious. Okay, going on to verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is one of my favorite subjects. Uh, I love it when the the Bible speaks about this. Sojourners and pilgrims. Has anyone here visited a foreign country? Is anyone here now visiting a foreign country? (laughs) I liked it. That was pretty good. That was pretty good sojourner and pilgrim what's the idea there you're a visitor and you're a stranger it's the idea of where you're at is not where you're from and you're not staying long you see this is the command from scripture we have a tendency to settle down don't we we like to build this and build that and 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 make this a little more solid and settle oh yeah that feels good comfortable Right? Lord says, now get up and go. Time to go. Abraham, come on, let's go. Ur, er, yeah, sure, wherever Ur er was. I'm going to show you where you're going to go. Okay, Lord. Never even asked where, I don't think. When you get there, I'll show you. The Lord wants that same mindset, living in tents, ready to go wherever the Lord wants us to go, ready to do whatever he wants us to do. Think about that. The Lord would come back right now. Would you be ready to go? Would your heart be settled on something here? Sojourners and pilgrims. If you've got that mindset, you know, I don't belong here. I belong in heaven. I'm just visiting. You you have a visa for visiting here. Passport is made from heaven. You can have the right mindset as you deal with people here. It's not going to be about what you can get out of this world and the fleshly lust. It's not going to be about, as the rest of this passage here, verses 11 through 17, talk about um, showing disrespect to those in authority. You should have respect for those in authority. It's theirs. We're just visiting. Just passing through. Some some would, uh, I like what one sister said. She said this. She said, some people call this a man's world. Fine by me. They can have it. (laughs) Where was her mindset? She's looking towards the next one. Towards the next one. Okay, verse 19. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See this wonderful gospel verse. I skipped over one earlier. Was it First Peter one eighteen, First Peter two twenty four? We learn these as gospel verses. That's not even the gospel context. This context here is talking about uh, submitting to slaves, submitting to their masters. I think it's appropriate to attach it to employees submitting to their employers. He says, "Look, if you do something wrong and you get in trouble, you should take it and be sweet about it." That's my modern version translation of the word patiently. You Be sweet about it. Okay, I say it to my kids, and they try to smile, you know. And I, I remember learning that growing up here in the assemblies. You can tell kids to change their attitude, and they can do it. And I didn't know that till I was eighteen. And so I saw it when the other kids around me. Then Lord said to me, "Okay, Charles, you be sweet about things now too. You can change your attitude. It's your choice. So if you make a mistake, you should take it patiently. Should be sweet about it. But if you don't make a mistake," And you're suffering for Christ's sake. That is a good thing. That's commendable. Now we're going to start to talk about something that is really incredible when you think about it. You're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Did you know that there's suffering for Christ still to be done? Christ is still to suffer. You think, uh, try, it kind of sounds like blasphemy. Last I check he said is finished. In regards to paying for sin, you're absolutely right. But in regards to suffering for his name's sake, shame, rejection, there's still suffering to be done. Paul said that I might fill up in my flesh. He said, "All right, there's suffering. I'm doing the will of God. I'm right there. Why? Because he wanted to have that fellowship with the Lord. He wanted to stand before the Lord. And when he sees those nails... Prints in his hands, and the nail prints in his feet. And if you could reach and see his side, Paul could say, "I had fellowship with that—not for payment for sin, but the suffering of being rejected for Christ's sake." He says, "You have to." Here's the key, though. You have to be. You have to take it patiently. Have you ever been wrongly accused at work, maybe at home? You're totally in the right? What do you want to do? Okay, hold on. Does everyone sit down? Calm down. Let me straighten you guys all out on this. Let me tell you exactly the way it happened here. Hold on. Right? And that's if you do it calmly. If you're like some of us, you start to not be so calm about it. And to use an old expression from an old brother, you start to lose your sanctification over it, don't you? You Start to get bent out of shape. I didn't do that. You're accusing me. That's wrong. You could do that, but you won't have fellowship with Jesus when he was reviled, do not revile in return. Okay, chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. I think it's no surprise that this section comes next. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. It's definitely not lost in me that this continues the thought from before. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Now I talked about, uh, being unjustly treated. Now how many times, men, be honest. You go about the house saying, honey, have you seen my keys? Dear, where's my, where's my phone? Honey, where'd you put my, uh, Forstner bits and uh, heavy-duty drill, as if she even knew what that was or would want to have it in the first place. The context here is probably most aptly applied to unsaved husbands, but you know what? It doesn't say that. It says those who do not obey the word. And for those believing husbands that are here, you know those times where you haven't been obedient to the word. You were out of sorts with God. And the Lord used your, quiet obe- your wife's quiet obedience. And it spoke to you, didn't it? I'll tell you right now, dear sisters, it's huge. It's huge for you to obey the Lord and quietly submit to your husbands even when they're blowing it. That is trusting God. For those of you who aren't married, that's how a marriage is based on the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. As probably every husband and wife would here could probably, probably say, if it was up to me, forget it. It never would have lasted. But it's because of Jesus. You see? And so when they're submitting quietly, they're submitting to the Lord. Not because he's worth it. Look how he's blowing it. But the focus is on the Lord. And that's how that wife is walking with the Lord. You see? And what does it say here? May be won by the conduct of their wives. See that? Quiet obedience. Don't get in an argument with the man. They got every logical reasoning up, down, left, right. You show my quiet obedience. Your, your walk with the Lord, you'll win that argument every time. It's, I should say it's inarguable. Also here is a command about putting on things that are beautiful. This is not. It says here in uh, this word, uh, merely. Let's see, verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart. Imagine what it would be. Think about this. And I want to challenge the sisters here this morning. Imagine this. Imagine the state of the Christian church. Maybe even the change in this assembly. Now, look, I have no problems with women having an eye for beauty. I think God made you that way. You know it looks nice? You know it looks pretty? And God has made you that way. But think of the time, the concern, maybe even the money that's put in beautification even amongst believing women. Take that as a challenge and say, do I spend as much time preparing my heart before the Lord in that morning as I do preparing the outward? Think about that. What's more important? What is more precious to you? To work on that hidden person of the heart. Do You see how the Lord describes it here? What does he say? Is, how does he describe this hidden person of the heart? Someone give it to me. Very precious. Thank you. I had to sit down when I read that. Wait a second. The blood of Christ was precious. Genuine saving faith was precious. Jesus as the chief cornerstone is precious. Gentle and quiet spirit is very precious. How does that happen? Because it comes back to Jesus. As a lamb before his shears were silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's Jesus who was that quiet one. He said, For I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. You see, when a believing wife, a sister who knows the Lord, has that spirit, who is she being like? She's being like the Lord Jesus. And that's why it's very precious. The Father's looking down and seeing. His son multiplied in the character of the women in the assembly. That's precious. Very precious. All right, you husbands, don't worry, you're not off the hook. You see what the Lord is telling you today? Live with your wives with an understanding heart. Now, you all just happen to be in the room. This is actually a conversation going on between the Lord and I. I know I'm the one who needs this the most. Oftentimes we're guilty. We're trying to explain something to our wives maybe. And we're talking in what's called man speak. If you didn't know that, you have your own language. And like when you go to a foreign country and you're trying to speak to them English. Or you're trying to get them to speak English. Raising your voice is not going to help. It's still a different language. And most women don't naturally speak manspeak. speak. And the more you're in a hurry, and the more you're agitated about something, your manspeak doesn't become more clear. It actually usually becomes worse. For those of you who are not married, you'll see. Oftentimes, you can be guilty of saying, don't you get it? Well, the reality is, they're not getting it. Because you're still speaking manspeak. It says, live with them with understanding, you see? And you're not being with understanding at that point there's also other exhortations here you need to honor them you're going to be spending eternity with her think about that you need to treat her with respect and also it says so your prayers are not hindered this is a very clear message to me i'm trying to pray to god he says uh charlie excuse me Uh, hold on a second i'm too busy listening to her she's got an issue over here i'll tell you why don't you go deal with that first you know, I can't quite hear you. If, she, if I hear her crying or sobbing or some other issue, I can't hear you. Guess what? She's first. So why don't you go show her honor first, and then we can talk. You see? It says uh, honor as the weaker vessel. Does that mean women are inferior? No, it, it doesn't mean that they're. Inferior. What it means is this. Simple illustration. Michael, could you, uh, throw that ball to me? What's this I got in my hand? It's a baseball mitt. What's it for? It's catching baseballs. Right here, Michael. Don't miss. Alright, good. That's what you do with the baseball mitt, right? Alright, let's try it again. Okay, throw it right here, Michael. Throw it right there. (laughs) Now, don't miss. What are you guys laughing about? What's this? It's a vase. What's it for? It's not for catching baseballs? No. It's not for catching baseballs. It's for holding what? Flowers. That's right. I, I put these in front of Stacey. I said... I've got a vase and I've got a mitt. I said, which one are you? She says, I'm the vase. I said, how do you know? She says, because I'm a gentle flower. I said, that's right. And I'm trying to get that. Thanks, Michael. And that's the meaning of a weaker vessel. It doesn't mean inferior. It means something you need to be gentle with, Fragile. Husbands, it gives you an opportunity to show care and concern you wouldn't normally have. Us guys are like mitts, leathery. Throw the ball, I can catch it. It's not a vase. Okay? God gave you an opportunity to show honor, to show care and concern. Verse 8, finally, all of you have one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Looking at it, verses eight through eighteen, the reality is the Lord's called you to a blessed life, but you could still suffer. But when you suffer, for Christ's sake, I mean, let's be honest—it's a blessed life knowing the Lord. I remember when I first got saved when I was eighteen. I would come around. We were showing a lot of hospitality. I must have gained twenty pounds in the first year. I remember eating clams and linguine at the Castanzas within like the first two Sundays of going to the chapel. You know, it's a good life, isn't it? But you could still suffer and, and probably will. Let's go on to verse nineteen. By whom also he would... Actually no, just go to chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he should no longer rest live the rest of his life. Time in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of God for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness revelries drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regard to these they think it's strange that you don't that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you you have two choices as a believer it's either a life of suffering following Christ or indulging and sin. The choice should be obvious. Follow Christ. If you follow Christ, you're going to pick a life, it's going to be, you're going to, you're going to feel some pain. It's not going to be an indulgent life. Verse 8, above all, these, above all things, have fervent love for one another. one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Ask yourself this morning, do you love the brothers and sisters at Calvary Bible Chapel? How can you tell if you love them? It says love them fervently, intensely. It means a lot. Okay? It means showing hospitality, joyfully. It says here. Do you do that? Or have you just blown them off? Are you engaged in the lives of the saints? Or are you just checking in and out? You can glorify God by responding to the environment he's put you in. Also, I believe what this is saying is love love will cover a multitude of sins. That's true. If you're loving with one another, you you can let things go. But I also think of the Lord. When he sees us being gracious with one another, he says this, The same measure you meet out to somebody else, it's going to be measured out to you. If you walk along with a critical heart and a critical spirit, the Lord's going to take that same measuring stick and say, okay, when we talk, that's going to be your stick. Lord, I need graciousness. (laughs) I want to work on graciousness towards others because they deserve it because God says so. And you know what? I could use some myself. Okay, verses 12 through 19 is more of the sufferings we had talked about. Could be your suffering for Christ's sake. Could be you're your moved over for promotion. You won't work the 50 or 60 hours a week like they want you to. You won't falsify documentation. I had a situation where a, co- a well-known company wanted me to falsify a document. I said, I can't do that. The government could come in and check the document and say, who signed this? I'm not going to do that. They said, oh, I guess you got a week's pay coming, huh? That was it. Bye. You know what? I really didn't. I'm ashamed. Not ashamed. I'm. I'm disappointed. I didn't mention the Lord's name. I wish I did for a better testimony to them. But I walked down that hallway. I felt like I was on a white horse. I thought, Okay, praise the Lord. I wonder what He's gonna do next. Isn't that neat to know about the Lord? I was talking to a brother at work. who thinks he's gonna get fired. And I know his situation and I know the things that work right now. I said, you know, consider it a blessing, first of all, very possibly. And aren't you excited to see what the Lord's going to do next? You just put yourself in his hands. And if this is his will and you're doing the right thing, he's going to do something next. That's exciting. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, whom a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. It's a special section for elders. He's saying, be watchful. Ask. Call. Talk to. Visit. Knock on the door. Be looking out for those wandering sheep and for those wolves out there and for the roaring lion. Do this because Jesus has put, put it in your heart to do it, not for any selfish gain at all. Don't treat the saints roughly. Don't be a dictator. But show them by a patient example what you think the Lord wants for our lives. If you do this, He will reward you perfectly. Like the way one brother put it, "I want crowns. Yeah, I do want crowns. If the Lord wants to pass them out. I tell you what, I want to get in line. Think what that crown's going to look like. And then what do you get to do? Take it off and throw it at His feet." Wow. Give me some of those crowns. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. Just a word to the young guys. We just want to see you succeed in the Lord. And we will be held accountable for your lives. Show us that you want to follow the Lord by coming and asking what you think, or what we think about what you should do. And the Lord is going to bless you. And I'm going to tell you, it's not because the elders are so brilliant. It's because God blesses when people obey his word. He, that special obedience, when you step out and say, I'm going to smit myself because of what God's word says, you don't have a God that says, what, you're going to obey me? Ah, oh, no, I'm really going to let you have it. He's not like that. He says, you're going to obey me. I'm going to, I'm going to give you such a blessing. You're not going to be able to contain it. You see? It says, you all be submissive to one another. Oh, okay, wait a second. Oh, wait a second now. All be, so now the husbands are submissive to the wives? Are we blowing things now? And the slaves are submissive to the ma- master. Masters submissive to the slaves? Or is it backwards? No, no, no. no. We, haven't, we haven't lost anything here. He's talking about humility. And be clothed with humility. But it's talking about authority, there's only one way of submission and obedience. You have to have a chain of authority. The father uh, is in an authority position over the son, but are they? There, there's no inequality there. It's what it's talking about here is being clothed with humility. Be attentive to one another's needs. Be submissive to one another in seeing their needs and seeing how you can help them. Take that low place and say, you know what, your needs are more important than mine. And I'm going to minister to your needs. You know what happens when you do that? It's a special thing that God does. When you do that, doesn't He often take care of your needs? You put your needs aside, you put someone else first, and He takes care of your needs as you're taking care of someone else's. Following the Lord is great. Why do we need to do these things? Well, bottom line is the Lord's coming back. And in the meantime, there's an enemy who's going about like a roaring lion. He's had millennia of practice of seeing souls just like each one of us. And as soon as we wander away from the fold, that's when he devours. We need to be tight-knit, girding up the loins of our minds together, fervently loving one another. Seeing the preciousness of the Lord and therefore the preciousness of each other. And even in suffering, in suffering, saying that, you know what? If I can suffer for Christ, wow. I can see Jesus one day, see those marks, and say, you know what? I had this much fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Precious. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you for your word. Lord, we do confess that we have never seen the Lord Jesus. But to us, he is precious. And we do love him. And Lord, we confess our need of girding up the loins of our mind. Not being mentally lazy. But seeing the value of your people. Seeing the shortness of this life. And the, and the impact of eternity. And Lord, living accordingly, being different for you. Lord, we thank you for First Peter. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Lord, help us to live in light of who you are, to see the, your preciousness, and to see things in your people as precious as well.